Okay, we are live with Rachel Burns. This is Tim Blankenship with Divorce661.com. Uh, we provide affordable, amicable divorce solutions. And today we have Rachel Burns on, who is a certified financial planner and certified divorce financial analyst, which I really want to dig in on. Uh, Rachel's passionate about helping women achieve financial independence after the loss of their partner to death or divorce. She is the founder of True Worth Financial Planning, which offers fee-only planning, divorce financial analysts, and investment management tailored to unique needs of newly singled women. And what we're going to be talking about today is the pitfalls of do-it-yourself divorce, maybe some horror stories of trying to do it on your own. And Rachel, the reason when you reached out to me, I want to have you on is because everyone who comes to me that becomes a client of mine was once trying to do it themselves and then ran into trouble. And because I'm not a lawyer and I, you know, I'm a legal document preparer, I don't give legal advice, financial advice. They have to come to me with their agreements in place or at least figure it out. And I'm often referring people out to specialists like yourselves to figure out some of the more trickier issues related to finance. Um, if you could, if you could just give a little bit more about your background. I know you have an interesting backstory that I thought would be better having you share it than me read it off your website. Sure, absolutely. So I have been in the industry in general for probably about 15 years. I started with the big, big financial firms and, and was there for the majority of my career, very much staying within the rules of the big companies, you know, you, you do it their way. And that, that was fine. That was, I was really happy to learn. Um, and because I was kind of limited to how I could do things, I had, I couldn't really specialize in any particular thing. So it would have been kind of weird if I would have said, I only work with women. They wouldn't, that didn't, doesn't really work in that type of environment. So I kind of, never knew what it could be like to to just work with the, the people that I just wanted to work with until I decided to go independent. And I really had no plans of ever going independent. It was um, some unexpected things that happened that led me to go independent. And COVID was a huge catalyst for that. Mm. Um, but once I decided, you know what, I need to be, I need to do my own thing. I need to be flexible. And if I'm just working with myself, then I get to pick who I work with. And I'm just working with women who really, really need help after divorce or after their spouse passes away. Those were always my favorite types of clients to work with. And once I was on my own, I had the luxury of being able to. And so, yeah, that's how I ended up here. And it's interesting because I started off my career as, as very much as a generalist, um, just you know, the financial planning advice that we gave was very uh, geared towards investments, like giving advice specifically with investments. But mm -hmm. now that I'm on my own, it's so much more focused on the client's life and what we're trying to accomplish with their life and how their finance support that. And if they've gone through this massive life change, you know, kind of reassessing and, and coming up with a new plan for their future. It's so, so different than the experience that you'd get as a client of a big firm, mm. because this is so, everything I do is so tailored to newly single women. Now you mentioned that you are handling people after divorce. So that's probably the certified financial planner 
role, but you as a C a certified divorce financial analyst, I, I imagine you're working people through the divorce process or pre-divorce. Can you talk, talk about that? And then for those that are not familiar with that, because even me doing this now 11 years, the, the certified divorce financial analyst in my mind came on the scene maybe just six or so years ago, and maybe I was, I was slow to find that that was something that was out there. Um, can you just start to high level, like what that is and why it is important that people use something, uh, a service like that? Sure. So a certified divorce financial analyst is a financial professional who specializes in all of the financial stuff related to divorce. So the name is pretty straightforward. But if you think about all of the financial decisions that are made during divorce and all of the analysis that has to be done to figure out what do we have? How are we going to split it? What's that going to look like going forward? That type of financial analysis and planning is not something that just any old financial advisor does. Like I would say a huge majority of the financial advisors that I know wouldn't touch mid-divorce stuff with a 10-foot pole because it's so specialized, it's so complex, and you really need someone who has expertise in exactly those types of things because um, it's not like it's not like, oh, this is just kind of stuff you can figure out. It's like, no, you need someone that has expertise and experience with this. And so um, the CDFA is this designation, cert Certified Divorce Financial Analyst. I don't know how long it's been around. It's been around a little bit longer than what you said, but it's definitely becoming more, there's more of an awareness of it. I think years ago, there was zero awareness of it. Like people did not realize that such a person exists out there that can help them with the financial aspects of their divorce. Mm -hmm. I've met so many people who are like, oh my gosh, I didn't even know that you exist. Like, yeah. I thought this is something you, you just call your attorney or you try to figure it out on your own. And I'm like, no, this is like, it's very special niche little um, area of expertise that's really, really valuable in divorce because if you're working with an attorney, that's great. They're giving you legal advice and they're advocating for you from a legal standpoint, but you can't expect them to be doing financial planning for you. You can't expect them to be an expert in the financial stuff. They're probably pretty knowledgeable about finance in general, but you can't expect them to have the same amount of financial expertise as someone who just does that part. And so I think a CDFA is an incredibly valuable member of your team, whether you're, whether you have an attorney or whether you're doing mediation or you're doing it yourself, there's still um, some gaps in your financial knowledge that a CDFA mm -hmm. can come in and, and help fill. I have a question. You, since you are both um, financial planner and CDFA, you said that a financial planner wouldn't touch this with a 10 foot pole. What are the can you explain what the differences are between the two and why they wouldn't touch this? Yeah. So the problems that you're trying to solve for during the divorce are very, very different than the problems you're trying to solve for after the divorce is finalized. So mid divorce, you're trying to figure out what's the, first of all, what do we have and just getting a grip on what do we have and how does this, this stuff work? Like if we have pensions, how does that work? And you know, what, what's our tax situation and just getting a grasp on all that is, is, is a big chore in itself. But um, specifically when it comes to splitting things, um, that opens up 
many cans of worms, not just one. Like we had to figure out, okay, what are the tax consequences of potentially splitting it this way? What uh, is this actually fair? Does this actually result in the same amount of money roughly going to each person, which might not be so obvious. Some things are very difficult to value. Some things are pre-tax, some things are post-tax. Some assets grow over time. Some assets don't grow as much. Some assets cost money to continue to own them, whereas other assets don't. There's all sorts of nuances to it. And another thing that complicates it is there's a lot of law involved. There's It's family law. And so um, a general financial advisor isn't going to want to get involved with legal stuff. Not that I get involved. I don't give legal advice, but I have at least an awareness of the legal side and what's kind of possible and what's not possible. Um, but all of these things that you're trying to figure out, how do we split things? What documents are needed to split things? Is this even possible? This is not something that a regular financial advisor comes across. This is so specific to mid-divorce. Okay. So my my mid-divorce work is like a separate job than my financial planning job because the, the mid-divorce stuff is like diving into spreadsheets and state statements and like very, very granular data, just tons of numbers. Whereas financial planning, it's a little more high level. It's a little more, more goal oriented. There's a like what if scenarios. It's kind of more open-ended, I guess. Mm -hmm. It's just as important, but very, very different points in the process have very different things that you need to do during those phases. And so um, some CDFAs do financial planning, but you're getting very different support during your divorce than you are after your divorce, even if it's the same person that's able to do both. Makes sense. So you're not, this could be a, to some confused with mediation, but you're, you're not providing mediation because you're working with the woman in the divorce and providing them the information they need to effectively take it back to their attorneys, so they come in informed and and can because I'm like sometimes the attorneys don't know, you know they hey we're going to get you fifty percent of the assets and from a financial or tax planning standpoint that might not that might not be appropriate but they're coming in not totally relying on the attorney to make suggestions but they're working with you as part of their team to come in with that knowledge so they can make those decisions is that is that how you kind of are incorporated in that process. Yeah, I would say so. And I would say the difference is, like, let's talk about mediation for a second. Mediation, you have a neutral third party who is there to help facilitate the conversations and help the two of you come to an agreement. The mediation or the mediator doesn't say, hey, Joe, you should do this because this is in your best interest. They're, they're just there to, like, help you guys come to an agreement. Um, I am not a neutral. I, there are CDFAs who are financial neutrals who have a very important role, a neutral opinion on something like worth or, or the woman. And I typically just work. Women who are not. 
do take more of an advocacy type role where I'm saying, you know, hey, no, this isn't fair. And this is what, these are some um, solutions instead. Or this is for or this. And it's, it's not, it's, it's different than a mediator but it's different than an attorney. An attorney advocates for you. I advocate for the woman, but I'm just advocating with math, not with legal right. advice. <laughs> right. So would you say that you're you're trying to explain to them so they can have, let me, let me rephrase that. You're, you're not really telling them how to take, get an advantage in the divorce. You're telling them this is the ramifications of these certain decisions you're going to have to make. Exactly. So I, I, I'm basically there to say, this is what you have. This is what this actually means to you. This is how you can split it. You know, we can look at specific, you know, proposals and look at, is this fair? Is this something that would work for you in the long run? Is this going to create some sort of issue that we're not thinking about? Like analyzing potential um, settlements and then coming up with a plan for what, what now? Once the divorce is over, like, what do you do with these assets that you get during the divorce? What do you do in terms of making sure that you have enough income? What do your expenses look like after divorce? It's like the whole big picture. So you can give the information that doesn't have any bearing on how an agreement may ultimately turn out there. They may agree to other terms other than what you advise based on what would be beneficial to them? Or if a case goes to trial, sometimes that's taken out of their hands. Yeah. So I, I don't typically tell them this is what you should ask for and this is how you should split it. Mm-hmm. Uh, usually they come to me with an, with an idea of how they either how they think it should be split or how their spouse thinks it should be split. And then I give them feedback like, okay, this is what this actually looks like after tax. And this is what this looks like in the short term, but this is what it looks like in the long term. And here's why that might be bad. And here are some different things you could tweak to make it look better or whatever. Um, it's like, I, I don't, I don't tell them what to do, but I like give them feedback on what they're doing and maybe make some suggestions for changes. Okay. So we talked about the CDFA designation and what that does, what that means, and how it's distinguished from a certified financial planner. Um, we wanted to talk a little bit about the, the do-it-yourself divorce folks. How how have you how are you coming across them? Is it is it during? Have they reached out to you because they're trying to do their own divorce, and and they reach out to you, or you would, we're talking about also some kind of some pitfalls. Uh, slash horror stories. And I'm assuming that was kind of after the fact that they did their own divorce. Um, and like I mentioned, I when we see complex or the, the, the questions start coming up from a financial um, standpoint, I'll usually refer them to someone like yourself um, to, to get those questions answered because that's obviously not um, my expertise. Um, how, how are these folks, how are you coming across these folks and in these different, from these different uh, areas? So I have a lot of do-it-yourselfers who reach out to me and just say, hey, 
I'm starting the process or I'm part partway through the process and and we're looking at this potential settlement, you know, what do you think? What are my blind spots? And I come in and just give them my analysis on the on their potential split and sometimes I'll put it in like a, a chart that shows visually like what that actually looks like mm -hmm. and I will help them understand, you know, what their situation is and what the potential split looks like. So ideally they come to me before things are set in stone. That's my favorite time. I'm like, please, please, please call me before you sign off on, a, on an agreement, especially if it's a DIY type thing. Yeah. Um, because I have a lot of people come to me after the fact and they're like, oh, I really wish I hadn't agreed to that. You know, I wish I would have known you earlier. I, I hear that so many times. And yeah. so I didn't even used to do mid-divorce work. I used to just work with people after their divorce was finalized. Uh -huh. But I heard so many of them say, I wish I had met you sooner that I was like, you know what I need? I have to, there's a, there's such a need for that type of support yeah. that I need to do that as well. Now, when you um, are handling these types of cases, are you, is it just the woman you're providing the advice to, or is it you're doing an analysis of the agreement in general and would say, this is what it's going to look like for each one of you based on what you've come up with? I just work with one side. Okay. So um, if something was like really in favor of my client and if it wasn't, I tell them like, Hey, you're, this is a really good deal and you're getting more than your ex. And like, I, but I'm not, I'm not working with their ex. I'm not telling them, Hey, gotcha. this is, this is not fair. I'm just, I'm just working with one side. Okay. So you would, you would do the analysis from her side, not the husband's side in that you would, you would call out, here's the, 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 the good things and the bad things Oops. and on, but you wouldn't make any mention of how that necessarily affects the husband. Yeah, sorry that my audio cut out for a second, but yeah, I I don't I just kind of say this is how it is. Do what okay. you want with that information, but I don't I don't involve the other spouse. Gotcha. Yeah, because I and I guess that's just the the different approaches you have the option as owning your own business. You're able to do. You can make those decisions to work with one spouse or the other. I know there's different um, uh, folks that will they also do mediation um, in, in 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 addition to that or. They will work with both spouses, but that's why it kind of starts to cross the line of being mediation versus, you know, giving that kind of financial advice. Yeah. And there are, there are a lot of CDFAs who I know uh, that do the, the neutral financial work. So for example, if a, if a client or if a couple is doing it themselves or they're doing mediation or whatever, and let's say they, they get along well enough to like collaborate with each other on this, but maybe they're like, Hey, we need to find out what the present value of this pension is. The, the couple can then go and hire a CDFA to do that analysis. And the, the professional is hired by the couple. The professional is not incentivized to favor one side versus the other. It's just a neutral, like, it's just like, here's the analysis. There's no emotions or opinions attached to it necessarily. Right. Um, so that's definitely an option. And that's a great option for a lot of people. But the women that I work with, are not in a position of power in their relationship or in their divorce and in their financial life. And so my, I like to work with women who need help e evening the playing field between them and their ex. If their ex mm -hmm. is the one that has the financial knowledge or, ha you know, is the one that makes the money or whatever. 
do you, did I correct me if I'm wrong? Did you say that CDFAs do handle pension valuations? They do. Really? Okay. Yeah. So I always um, will have folks come to us and it'll ha happen often with people in, in government jobs or state jobs, city jobs, and maybe they both do. Maybe they're both in law enforcement or they're uh, both um, teachers or, you know, combination of the both where their state pensions and so forth. And they'll come to me and say, okay, we have, we both have our pensions. We both have our deferred comp. And then we have a, on the side, you know, 403B or, or 401k or whatever other asset that they can do on the side. And I've even seen people come to me after they have done their divorce through an attorney or on their own and said, and they came to me because they had to do the quadros to divide the pensions and I'll read their um, divorce decree. And they literally said all pensions essentially to be divided equally, which many times that doesn't make sense. Uh, it costs a fortune to do those. And so I will send them to an actuarial service. I didn't know CDFAs did that, but I would send them to an actuarial service. Say, you know, the 401ks, I think they can figure out, look at the date of marriage, data separation, look at the values, you know, to get an estimate. But the true pension systems need to be evaluated, as you said. So that that's surprising to me. I'm glad to learn that because in, in some of these cases, we've been able to knock it down from maybe six quadros to maybe two by, um, and then, going back to being able to modify. So you said that people wish they knew before we've gone in and modified these judgments that were submitted years ago to say, Hey, now each spouse is keeping these two hundred percent and these two are going to be used and we will take the differences and we will um, kind of offset against each other. And then we'll determine how that needs to be split. Um, so, but if they did that in advance, this is not a step they'd have to take and make all these changes. Um, and that sounds like that's something you, you can do. Yeah, and not all CDFAs do pension valuations, but okay. it, they definitely can. And I run into that same scenario that you're mentioning where they're like, oh, let's just split every single pension, every single account down the middle, which means a whole bunch of quadros. And if you're not uh -huh. familiar with quadros, it's the, the legal document. I'm not you, but your listeners, the legal document that, that is used to, to facilitate the split. So I have... Um, even like attorneys will tell the clients, oh, let's just split all these things. And I'm like, okay, this is this is what that actually means. You're going to have to have like six of these quadro documents drawn up. It's going to cost yeah. probably at least $500 each. And then you have to actually do all the things to get the quadro processed, which takes several months. It's a giant pain where if you do a little bit of math up front and you have someone like me help with the math, we can say, okay, this pension is worth, let's say, $100,000. Mm -hmm. This pension is worth $50,000. This 401k is worth $50,000. Instead of splitting every single one, you know, you take the $100,000 pension, I'll take the $50,000 pension and the $50,000 in 401k or whatever. You can uh -huh. come up with different, exactly. um, different combinations to, to get to the same end result. Because really, the, at the end of the day, you care about how much money is each person receiving it doesn't necessarily matter as much like which specific pieces. I mean, it, the pieces the pieces matter, but you yeah. can strategize in a way to minimize the work that needs to be done to split those things. Yeah. We've had, like you mentioned, it's coming from attorneys making that recommendation. We'll have folks come into us usually uh, because they feel that they've read online that all community properties divide 50-50. They have to assume they have to do that and divide 
So we'll have someone come in and they'll have maybe some small, you know, 401ks, you know, maybe five, $6,000, you know, and they'll have several of them. And on their agreement that they come up, they came up with that they typed up on a word doc, literally said, they're going to split all these. And I said, this, this is crazy because by the end, you know, you're going to lose the value of one in the cost of quadros doing this. And I asked, why did you guys decide to do this? And they said, because it says community property needs to be divided equally. So I don't give them financial advice, obviously, but that's when I talk to them about, hey, you, you can keep that and keep this, you know, at a very high level. You keep these three, you keep those two. That's a wash. Now we have this one we're dealing with. And, you know, the only thing I'm not aware, of course, aware of is when it comes to pensions, true pension systems, where it's a percentage at retirement and some of them have a, and I don't know what you would call it. Like if this, the spouse with the pension were to die their their spouse can get it continually. So that's where that can get tricky to say, would I let my spouse keep this pension hundred percent? And I keep mine, but there's also some of the, depending on the type of pension, they have some post death benefit. Is that, is that something that you obviously evaluate? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, for example, so I live, I live near Sacramento and so there's a ton of state workers oh. that work, work for the Capitol. And so I deal with a lot of their benefits, the government benefits, there's usually pensions involved in those. Right. And, um, where, oh my gosh, where was I going with that? <laughs> we were talking about post death benefits and, and thank you. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> um, usually I so, forget. Um, so you, you have different options usually. So, so for example, if you work for the state and you're splitting up a pension and a divorce, you can choose to, let's say my spouse works for the state and I can choose, do I want to just wait until he retires and then I'll receive 50% of his payment and I get that payment as long as he's getting that payment. So like, I, essentially I'm tied to him. Like I, my income starts when his does, I'm kind of dependent on him for that income because he controls when he starts it. Or we can create this separate account. It's called the segregated method where they, they create the sec separate account. Now they move my credits over and then I decide when I start my payments. It's based on my lifetime. I get to designate, you know, a beneficiary or whatever. You've got some different options available to you. And I, I would imagine that this is going to vary across different organizations. But like you want to make sure that you understand how that works. Like who decides when you start it? And what happens if your spouse dies? What happens if you die? If you get to designate beneficiaries. You need to figure out all that stuff because... Uh, that matters a lot. <laughs> yes, for sure. Yeah, because usually, and I'm glad to, again, talk to you about these things because generally when people have these questions or even when they don't, I'll let them know there's different ways this can be done because it should be, they don't have to decide that in the in the divorce settlement. They don't have to divorce, they don't have to decide at that point how they want to have that distributed or assigned to them but they do during the quadro process need to make that determination because the language of the quadro is different depending on their, uh, their decision on that. Yeah. yeah. And it's complicated. And I have read those same 200 page documents and they don't make it easy to figure this out on your own. Right. Wrong can be, it, it can be costly for you. 
Yeah, for sure. So, um, can you tell us about some of the things that you've seen people, the ones that said, they wish you knew you before, um, like a couple of examples of some of the mistakes that were made? Yes. So, uh, I see a lot of mistakes being made around pensions, speaking, speaking of pensions. Um, and pensions are not as easy to understand as an IRA account or a 401k account. Right. Pensions are confusing to a lot of people. Like they don't, they, you know, sometimes they'll get an annual statement for their pension that has this number on it and they think, oh, that's what my pension's worth. So I'm going to list that number in my financial disclosures. Right. But really that number, I, there's that number means something completely different and the actual value to you can be a very, very different number. And I see people just using the number that's on their statement, which might be a fraction of what it's actually worth. Or I see them saying, oh, you know, I don't really know how my ex's pension works. So you just keep your pension and I'll keep the house or I'll keep whatever else. And they don't understand what the pension is actually worth because pensions can be very, very, very valuable. They can be worth millions of dollars. I mean, it's a major asset and people will shy away from it because they don't get it. They they don't understand how it works. Um or they just misunderstand its value because of that stupid statement that gets sent out. And all that number means, if you if you have a pension and if you get a statement that has a number on it, what that number means is that's how much money has been contributed into this account on your behalf, whether maybe part of it comes from your paycheck, maybe part of it comes from the employer. It just means that this is a, how much money has been set aside in this account. But that's not how much you get. What you get depends on this formula that looks at what was your, what was your salary? How many years did you work? What was, what percentage of your salary do they replace for every year? And they, they apply this formula, which generates this monthly amount that you get. So the monthly amount that you get really doesn't have anything to do with that number that's on the statement. It it's, right. it's like two very different numbers. Um, but they, but people will make assumptions because it looks straightforward. It looks very confusing. So I see people, I've seen people give up giant pensions, just give them up entirely. I've seen, mm -hmm. I had a client where they both worked for the state. He had a really big pension. She had a very small pension, but those little annual statements made it look like there wasn't that much of a difference. And mm -hmm. she's like, oh, well, I'll just keep mine. And he keeps his, that'll keep, make it easy. But it's like, no, that's, his is worth a million dollars more than yours. Um, I also see people not understand the tax differences between their different assets. So for example, I was working with a client where she showed me what her ex had come up with in terms of a proposal for her. And I said, yeah, this looks kind of equal, but here's the thing. You're getting the retirement money, which is 100% taxable. And he's taking these stocks, which he just bought. So the cost basis is really high. He's going to pay practically no taxes on this. So maybe each of these accounts is looks like it's worth $100,000 each, for example. But maybe you're going to get $70,000, $78,000. Like it's, it's not equal at all. Um, I just see people making assumptions that you make incorrect assumptions with that kind of stuff and you you can lose out on thousands even hundreds of thousands of dollars sometimes 
So it's just, it's just like not understanding mm -hmm. all the individual pieces. All it takes is one little misunderstanding and you can give up hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah. You made a comment, um, and I don't I want to even try and paraphrase it because I'll butcher it, but you characterized women being underserved or you, you said you're trying, how did you, can you say that again? Because it sounds like these are, this is why some of these things are happening. Yeah. So, um, it's very common in a relationship where there's a division of labor where, okay, you're in finances. I'm in charge of the household stuff. Like in my house, I don't take out the trash. My husband takes out the trash. It doesn't mean that I'm not able to take it out. I just don't want to my job. I have other jobs, right. um, but that's what happens. And a lot of times the wife will get that to the husband because of whatever, maybe that's, he's interested in it or whatever. So what happens over years and years of that, maybe that was fine during the marriage, but once you're splitting up now, one person is very much aware of their financial situation. Maybe they're the ones that's that are making the majority of the income. And the other one is like, I don't know what we have. I don't know how much money we have. I don't know how much money we make. I don't know what our expenses are. I, and then there's so much anxiety about, well, what am I going to do going forward? Cause I don't know how much money I need. And I don't like, it's, it's, it creates so much stress, extra stress during a divorce. And so um, I really like to work with women who are in that position because I can make more of a difference by leveling out that playing field with their ex so that the negotiations are fair. Because if you're negotiating with someone and they have all the information and you have none of the information, you can't negotiate with them. And you can, you're really in a vulnerable situation. You can get taken advantage of. Even if your spouse means well, they still can do things that are not in your best interests intentionally or unintentionally. So you, you really have to be your own advocate. And um, if finance is something that scares you, if it's something you don't understand, it makes you nervous, that is totally fine and totally understandable but you do need to get some help during that decision-making process. You can't just say, oh, well, I'll just let it roll. However, you know, whatever happens, happens. Like, no, if you don't know, if, if you can't figure this out, you need to get someone to help you. There's help available. You just need to find it and you might need to pay a little bit for it. But if you invest in a couple hours of help from a financial expert, you can mm -hmm. save yourself many, many, many thousands of dollars in the long run. It must be very satisfying to have someone come to you and think that this looks great. They, they fall into this situation you just explained, and then you really open up their eyes to be like, like, what's their reaction? Like, oh my God, I didn't, you know, I can't believe I almost made this mistake. Yeah, they, they have that reaction. And I enjoy finding Easter eggs or I enjoy finding solutions, but I don't enjoy finding evidence of their ex trying to screw them over or whatever. That that makes yeah. me sad to, to say like, cause like this one client that I was working with, her husband was like a finance guy. He was, mm. he was an MBA. He was a finance guy. He knew what he was doing. It, it wasn't an honest mistake. And I think, she's going into this process thinking, oh, this is amicable. He's, he's 
you know, thinking of my best interests. And I'm like, well, not so much. And I think that's really disappointing because yeah. their ex is not who they think they are. And that's really hard. But I love when I'm able to prevent financial catastrophes from happening. Yeah. And it sometimes they're so obvious to me. Sometimes I'll go through and I'm like, nope, that that's not good. That's it might just be something little. It's some, sometimes it's things that I can pick out in a second just from reviewing um, proposals. You're you're probably like the matrix. You can just you can see through it all, right? When you right when you see the asset sheet. Yeah, I I think that the reason why I ended up in this career is I have a different way of visualizing money and retirement and like like. I, I think I have a different picture of it in my mind than, than the average person. And it helps me understand the big picture and share that kind of perspective with people. Cause it's not, it's not just two dimensional numbers. I mean, this is like, it is like the matrix. <laughs> That's yeah. a really good way to put it. <laughs> you, you have my permission to use that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I, I I would say that sometimes about um, when people call me and they've tried to do their own divorce and it's been years and they'll give me their case number. I'll look it up online and I, I don't see images of forms. I just see the case, the, 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 um, their file there. I see the forms that have been filed and I can look at it for, you know, 45 seconds and I can tell exactly what's going wrong without ever seeing the mistakes and errors. So I will say that about myself. And then I would, I, uh, so I had someone else say that about whatever they did. I was like, Hey, that's my line. They, they used my line. I'm sure people are using that line all the time. Yeah. Do you ever have, um, Anyone that says to you, and I'm, I'm asking this because I'll have people tell me this, that uh, it kind of goes back to what you're originally saying about maybe being underserved or unaware, but some wives just wanting to say, I don't want anything because I just want out. I hear that a lot. And uh, it, it, there's a lot of different reasons behind it oftentimes. Some Sometimes they want to seem greedy or they don't want to feel like, oh, I don't want them to think that I feel entitled to his money or they'll think, oh, well, he's the one that earned the money. And I'm like, well, but that's not really how it works, though. Or they'll say, I just want this to be over with. I'll agree to anything. I just want this to be done. And I that's that's hard because I'm like, I get it. I know how awful this experience is for you. But this is a short time in your life. It, it doesn't seem short when you're in it, but this is a relatively short time period. And you're making decisions that are going to impact you for literally the rest of your life. So I know you're tired and you're worn down and you're just drained, but you have to just hang in there and get, get help. You, if you need support, get the support you need to finish, finish it out the right way. Um, because this is, setting yourself up for the rest of your life. Um, but it's really, it's hard. It's hard when someone feels so defeated at that point in the process, it's hard to argue with that, but I'm like, no, you like hang in there just a little yeah. bit longer. And yeah, I, I hear that more than I would have expected. 
Interesting. Is there anything that we didn't uh, share that uh, you wanted me to ask or that I should have asked? Um, I think other another pitfall that we didn't talk about in DIY divorce is uh -huh. when not everything's disclosed. And sometimes it's on purpose. Some people, sometimes someone wants to hide things from the other or thinks that I don't need to share that information with them because that's mine. That's people can talk themselves into all sorts of things, but, and then sometimes I see people just forgetting to, to include things because they don't understand that it's actually worth something or they just forget about it. And you had to be really careful about that. You had to be careful not to leave things out yourself. And then you need to be careful, whatever your ex is disclosing, like don't just assume, oh, they're being perfectly honest. They're disclosing everything. Cause they, they might forget things too. So it's hard. I know it's hard for a lot of people to like, remember where are all my accounts? What credit cards do I have? Where like your finances can be messy. And so it's hard to kind of remember all those individual pieces. You can disclose them. But if you're having trouble with that, you can, you can have someone help you with just that part. So for example, I help clients go through their tax returns or mortgage applications or credit reports often go through these do financial documents that don't really seem related, but they they reference accounts that exist. And so I can help find things. It's kind of like forensic accounting, but like you can find these other assets that are out there because yeah. there's traces of them all over the place. And so that's just something to be aware of going into the DIY process. Like, don't just assume that that's all you have. You might have more. Yeah. It might be forgotten about or it might be hidden, but you, you do need to be looking out for that kind of stuff. So your analysis goes much deeper than I would have originally thought. You know, on, on one face, I thought, okay, so you're looking at um, a settlement agreement and then telling them the upsides and downsides of it. Because I, when you were talking, I wrote down, how is how are these things being discovered? And I didn't realize that you would go as deep as to pull a credit report and look over the report and find those um, assets or debts that might be out there. And the follow-up question to that is, are you finding people, let me preface it by saying, I am finding many of my clients who don't run a, maybe you would call it a traditional financial husband and you know, wife financial relationship where finances are combined, where they are for 20 years ran completely financially separate lives separate income, separate bank accounts, separate credit cards. Maybe they have a arrangement. They, they contribute it, contribute an amount to the mortgage or some of the main bills based on their percentage of income differences. Are you seeing that in, in what you do? Yeah. Especially now that a lot of people get married when they're older and they yeah. already have assets going into the marriage and it, uh, you know, a lot of blended families too, where they're like, you know what, I'm just going to keep my stuff separate. We're going to have some sort of agreement. And you, I mean, I've seen all sorts of different ways of sharing finances in a way that keeps things separate, which is totally fine. It's totally a matter of personal preference. What right. works, but when those people get divorced, just because well, I had my own accounts and he had his own accounts. That doesn't mean that 
what's yours is yours and what's his is his. And there's no, like, there's still in the law, in the eyes of the law, it's can still be community property, even if it's just in one person's name. And so I see people who are like, oh, this is going to be easy. You know, I'm just keeping all my stuff separate, but it's like, well, no, it's not that separate. So there's some misconceptions about what separate versus marital property is. Yeah. The, the word I get all the time is I'll say, is there any, you know, community property? And they'll say, well, we had never had anything together. They, they think that that means like you just said the same thing that that's different than community property, that it has to be combined. But, you know, as you know, just through the marriage, it's combined. You know, I'll tell people, they'll say, Hey, we're just going to keep each our own stuff because the, you know, we, they were never combined uh, or they're never to, you know, there was nothing together is the word they always say. Um, and I'll tell them that they're fine to agree to that, but the, but the court still looks at it as community property and it still needs to be addressed, you know? So yeah. it's fine if they want to agree to that, but uh, sometimes they're thinking that they, that they're doing that because it wasn't combined. And maybe one of the spouses wouldn't normally agree with that. And they, maybe the husband said, you know, these weren't together, so you don't get my pension. And they say, well, you're right. It wasn't combined. Yeah. And if, if, if um, you want to have some sort of agreement, like, Hey, you know, I have my kids, you have your kids, let's keep this separate. You can do that. You just go get a prenup. Like, don't assume that like, oh, I'll just keep this in this type of account and it it won't be considered yours. Like, no, that's not how it works. But you can accomplish that. You're just going to need to go get a a prenup or a postnup drafted. Yeah, we, um, there's an attorney out our way who is, uh, who has a prenup and she preaches prenups all the time. And uh, so it, it, it's interesting because I think she says something about trying to keep you out of my office um, through prenups. <laughs> that, yeah. Um, anyways, it's been great talking to you. We covered a lot of uh, material. Um, can you tell us about how people can get a hold of you? Uh, I know your website is trueworthfp.com, as in yep. trueworthfinancialplanning.com. Yep. And you do work not just in your local area, right? You, you work remote, you can work with anyone. Yeah, Tell us more I do. About, I, about that and, and how to get a hold of you. Yeah. So I'm based in Northern California near Sacramento. Um, but I work virtually with people all over the place. I work with people on the East coast, like anywhere in between. And, um, I, I would say my website would be a great place to start again, trueworthfp.com. And, when you first go to my website at the top, right, there's a button where you can book a free consultation. So I offer a free 30 minute consultation and you would be shocked at how much we can accomplish in 30 minutes. Um, and I encourage people, I'm like, take me up on that. Like at, at a minimum, you'll walk away with a couple of tips or some pointers or some resources or something. Um, but yeah, I think that's the best place to start. And then I'm also on social media. That's a good place to stay in touch. Um, I'm on Instagram at trueworthfp or LinkedIn or Facebook. So yeah, to keep in touch. And, and, um, I, again, re, re, make a free consultation cause it'll be, what do you have to lose? <laughs> yeah. Sounds, sounds good. Well, it was great talking to you. Hang out for just a second after we uh, turn this off. So you can just chat for 30 seconds. Um, but again, thank you so much for coming on for almost an hour of your time. And uh, it was great. I always learn a lot on these myself. Thank you so much for having me, Tim. I really appreciate it. Absolutely.